If you haven't been with us, we've been going through the uh, Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. We're in chapter 6 and uh, verse 19, where he's talking about where our treasure is, uh, there's going to be our heart. Uh, so that's what we're looking at quickly. And uh, we always learn after the first service, we always have more than we'll be able to share. So uh, if you're interested, Danny puts it up on the uh, webpage, HarmonyCC.org. And you can either listen to it or you can download or just read uh, all the notes. Because I never, uh, I never share everything that I put together in the notes. But if you have that desire, uh, you can go there and look at it because there's so much of it. I'll just skim today because of the sake of time. I, I guess I've never been guilty of not having enough. You probably will never come and have 15 minute sermon from me. It just doesn't work that way. I shoot for 30 minutes, but it doesn't, that doesn't work either. So uh, anyway, uh, we'll, we'll have to surmise a little bit of it for you. Uh, but that's what he's talking about. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Why in the world would he use that analogy? Mainly because in that day and time, uh, a lot of their wealth, the things that they would have that they thought was wealthy, uh, was clothes. They would even sew some gold parts in their clothes just to keep them. And the most expensive clothes then was wool. What does moths do with wool? That's exactly why he says that. He didn't just pick this out of the air because it's where they live. He said, you know, you're treasuring this stuff and they're going to destroy it. Uh, you try to put some uh, metal uh, aside and rust will get it. And they lived, a lot of them, in mud-related houses. So the uh, thieves could dig through the mud and steal what they had in the house. So basically he said, there's nothing on this earth that's safe. If you want to invest in something that's going to last, and that's what he goes on to tell us, a treasure, the right treasure. So it says, choose it. Lay not up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's what's going to last. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where the thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is... There will be your heart also. He says the eye is the lamp of the body. So your eyes healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is uh, in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So he tells you this is what you need. And then he illustrates it two ways to help us see why it's important uh, to focus and make a choice. You know, in Proverbs, it tells us to guard your heart. But that's not what he's saying here. He says, choose. You always have a choice of what your treasure is. No one can serve two masters. No one can serve two gods. They'll either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't have two masters. It means, you know, and he's talking slaves. In that day and time, they had slaves. And a lot of times the slaves were high-ranking people, but maybe they'd sold themselves into slavery not just because they'd been apprehended, but if you owed a debt and you couldn't pay it, the, the people you owed the debt to could take you in as a slave until the debt was paid, and then you could be free. So just time, whenever you hear the word slave, don't automatically mean in the negative sense of what most of us may know. And he says, listen, if I own you and you're my slave, you can't be somebody else's slave. It's impossible. That's exactly what he means by that. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is just an Aramaic word that means money. He said, one of those things will be your God. So he said, be careful that you choose the right treasure. That's what it is. Now, 
He says, store up treasure in heaven. For wherever your treasure is, your heart's going to run after it. If it's money, that's all you're going to think about. If it's a car, that's what you're going to think about. Your heart's going to always be running after it. If it's a house, if it's a boyfriend, if it's a girlfriend, you're always going to be chasing it. He said, you're going to run after it. It's going to consume your imagination, your, your creativity. Everything is going to be consumed with that treasure. So he says, be careful that you choose. You know, you get to choose. That's the good thing about it, right? He says, you need to choose. If you want to choose the right thing, choose something that has eternal value that's in heaven that will not ever pass away. That's what Jesus said, right? He says, heaven and earth will pass away as we know it. He said, but what? My word will never pass. So everything we invest in heaven in eternity will never go away. It will always be there, and we'll see it. And the rest of this stuff that we get caught up in down here is not. You're not taking anything with you. You came into this world naked, and when you die, you're going to go the same way. Well, you might have clothes on, but you ain't going to take anything with you. Right? Isn't that right? That's what he says. That's what it means. What we ultimately value will always tug at your heart. That's what's important to you. It'll take all of your creativity, your imagination, your, your waking hours. That's what you're thinking about. Now, if, if heaven is that, how does that affect everything? Quite a bit different. What we ultimate value will tug after us. You love ball, you're going to be playing ball all the time. You love fishing, you're going to be fishing all the time. Right? You know, whatever, whatever you like. When people say, oh, well, I love this. I say, when's the last time you've done it? And you say, well, I haven't done it in years. Then you don't love it. Because the things you really, really love, those are the things, if all possible, those are the things you'll be involved in. They'll get you time and your money. Exactly. That's the thing that becomes our God. He, that's why he talks about the I in just a minute, because we deceive ourselves and we say, oh, no, no, that is not my God, but it is our God. If what we value is material stuff, then our God is materialism. That's the world we live in right now. It's all about all the stuff you can get. And the advertisement wants to sell us all this stuff because that's what makes us somebody. <laughs> I remember a long time ago, and I'm not a fan, all right? Madonna, uh, you remember what she said? She said, this is a material world, and I'm a material girl. <laughs> Boy, that's true. What is she concerned about? The world. What's so many people concerned with? The world. So God is your, your God is the materialism, God of the world. That's exactly in the opposite of what Jesus said. But if all we cherish most belongs to the eternal realm, then our whole being will pursue that. You know, there's a whole different everything when you're focusing on something outside of this world. And that's the point Jesus is trying to make. There's something about God and money that makes it hard to master. Uh, they do not, uh, and, and please, you're going to see Jesus, he doesn't say, you can't have money. He says, why are you having money? Are you accumulating it just for yourself? Are you accumulating it so God can use you to disperse it where the kingdom things can be done that will last in eternity? It, it's not, you know, the scripture says what? Money is not evil. What is? The love of money. You know, like the man, I just want all the land that joins mine. Well, what does he want? Everything. Oh, you know, I just want the land to join mine. Well, that's greedy. You know, that's exactly what that is. That's what that means. Either you're mastered by the money, and therefore God, and you make him a bellhop to, well, God, I need this, and I need that, or what? Or you're mastered by God, and you use the money that God gives you to serve him with it. 
Those are your two options that you have. That's what you have. If either tries to master you while you're mastered by the other, you will hate it and despise it. You can't do both. And that's exactly why he says what he says. It's why Jesus said, it is almost impossible for a rich person to go to heaven. Why? Because their God is money. He gave us a perfect illustration, right? Remember the rich young ruler? When Jesus said, and, and he doesn't tell everybody, he doesn't tell, well, you need to throw away, you need to sell all your stuff and give all your money away and then you can get to heaven. That's not the point. The point is, this guy's God was money. And he said, the most important thing to you, you got to be willing to forfeit that and come follow me. And the rich man didn't do it. And Jesus let him go. As far as we know, he didn't get to heaven. Why? Because he served his money, God, instead of God. So he wasn't willing to give up. And Jesus knew that. That's why he asked him that. For you, it might be a boy. For you, it might be a girl. For you, it might be a house. For you, it might be a car. For you, it might be your bank account. And if you're not willing to give it up, then that is your God. And that's why he says, choose your treasure that will last in eternity. If you really want something that will last. Because all this stuff, all of us are going to die. Some of you just recently lost loved ones. It's real. Yesterday was 20 years since Madison died. 20 years ago. Just like yesterday. It's coming. You know that, right? There's no one in this room that's not going to die unless Jesus comes back. And that's why you've heard me say it quite a bit here lately, and, and this is why you need to talk to your family about death and dying because it's coming. If you never talk about it, and then when it happens, they don't know how to process anything, and they're distraught, and some of them never return. Because guess what? It's coming. Ain't nobody in here, unless Jesus comes back first, we're going to all die. You need to think about that. What's concerned in it? What happens? What are the chances? What are you going to do? How things are handled? It's reality. Well, we don't want to talk about it. Why? It's inevitable. You need to be as ready as you can. <laughs> That's the deal. That's why Jesus said it's so hard when we let other things become our God. You know, religion can be your God. You know that? Remember what Jesus said? These people came to him and said, you know, we cast out demons in your name. We preached and prophesied in your name. Jesus said, I don't know who you are. You, you didn't have anything about serving me. You just were going through all this stuff. So anything can become a God. That's why you got to be real, real careful. That's why he says, choose your treasure and be wise. Jesus says, devote your life to accumulating treasure in heaven. How do I do that? I can't buy a piece of heaven. You can invest now in eternal things about how to get people connected to the gospel so that they die and go to heaven so they'll be in eternity. That's what that means. You can't buy heaven. You can't do that. But you can invest in the money that God gives you to advance the kingdom so that more people can go. That's, that's the whole way you do it. You don't buy yourself into it. What is the main thing that he has in mind? It seems in the context <clears throat> that he says it is giving rather than accumulating. You know, there's a lot of people that are, they say they love Jesus. They're just greedy. You know, that's just basically all it is. You know, they, oh, yeah, we love God, but they only make money for themselves. So all they want to do is accumulate for themselves. And, and number one, there's nothing wrong with money. 
you know, the scripture tells us the love of um, the money is the evil. So, you know, God blesses some people just, uh, man, it doesn't matter what they do. It, everything they touch turns to gold. You know anybody like that? It ain't me. <laughs> Boy, it's never been my case. And all the things that I've ever done, it just hasn't been the case. But it's not accumulating. It is the giving part of it. If laying up treasure in heaven is the opposite of laying up treasure on the earth, then probably laying up treasures in heaven will not be laying up treasures on the earth. It will not be. But giving them away in ways that what? Magnify Jesus' reach here on this earth so they will end up in eternity. So that's what that means. It's not just accumulating. It's what are you doing with what you accumulate? Well, you know, I, I got to have enough to retire and do this. Why? Why? Remember what Solomon said? You spend all day trying to make money and you stay all, all night trying to keep somebody taking it from you. That's what he says. <laughs> you know what? This is so funny. I've seen it too many times. A couple are just greedy, stingy, and they save every dime and just... I mean, just ridiculous. And save up all this money. I have a, one couple in mind. They're both dead now. And just as quick as they're dead, their children know what corns are round for. Boy, they roll them. They throw it away and waste it. That's what Solomon said. You do all this and you waste all this and your fool children are coming around and throw it all away. That's what he said. So if you really want to be wise and you want to use your money for God, you need to not let it always depend on what somebody else chooses. You have to be involved in that. So why? What, how much do you need to live? You know, you remember in their day and time? They worked for today's wage. They didn't have all this saved up stuff. You know, there were some rich people. But most of the people were common people who just, we got to work for our living today. We, we don't have it. And that's exactly what he's talking about. Jesus is in, he's interested in his money being spread out to help somebody, not just accumulating it for ourselves. And people argue all the time, well, Proverbs says to do this and do that. I understand that. But it's always a question of not how much you're giving, how much you're keeping. No, you're worth $100 million, how much you're keeping? How much you're giving away? That's why when some of these people say, oh, well, they gave, they gave $10 million, but they have $500 million, so they didn't give anything, basically. What did, the, what did the widow lady give? What did she give? Everything. Jesus used that, you know. <laughs> Look what Jesus says. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old. Does that mean we can't have anything? doesn't mean that. Not the context. It just says this. Invest in things that will not waste away. Invest in money bags that does not have holes in them. That's what he means. You know, when you look at the New Testament, a lot of people had a lot of money, and they sold a lot of stuff just to help people meet people's needs. I mean, that's exactly what it was. With a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where the thief cannot approach and cannot destroy. That's what, he, that's what he's talking about. He explains how you provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. Why? God's money should be in circulation. You know, that, that's basically the bottom line. That's exactly what he's saying. How you provide yourselves with treasure in the heavens that does not fail. You spread it out. It doesn't mean you become uh, a street person and give everything you weigh. You, use your common sense. That's not what the Bible says. 
No, but it says, why are you, how much are you accumulating for yourself and not spreading it out to where God can use it for his glory? You know, there is a limit. How much do you have to have to live? You know, unfortunately, a dollar is not worth anything now. I'm old enough. I remember when you could buy a pint of chocolate milk, a pack of peanuts. Then nobody was allergic to them. <laughs> what happened to that? One day we woke up and everybody in the world is allergic to peanuts. So they took them off their airplane. Why? Anybody know the reason by that? Don't tell me now, but tell me later. I don't understand. And a honey bun. And get a quarterback from a dollar. You can't do that now. I don't know if you can buy any one of those three for a dollar. So money doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't mean anything. That's exactly what Jesus said. Why do you want to accumulate something that one day, it's not going to be worth anything. But our Bidenomics, it sure ain't going to be worth anything if we keep going, right? So what have you saved up all that for? Nothing. <laughs> hey. In other words, possessions on earth are not for accumulating. They're for being used by God to extend the kingdom. So in eternity, people will be there as a result of you investing in what God. You know, God's work does take some money. It does. It just like everything else. It takes money to do some things. Yes. Do not store up for yourselves. He says it again. But store up for those things in heaven. He says, he's not saying guard your heart as it does in Proverbs. It says that clearly. Oh, guard your heart because it is the wellspring by which everything comes out of that. Absolutely. But Jesus said, here, you can choose your treasure. What is your treasure? You know? Is it, is it people? Is it, uh, and I'm not, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about, not just loving people in your family. That's a common, everybody accepts that. I'm talking about where they become your God. You know, that kind of thing. Whatever it is. Whether it's money, people, whatever it is. If what you value the most has to do with treasure down here, the things in themselves be good as they are, uh, which we should give thanks for, it probably means that's where our heart is going to be. That's where our treasure is. That, that's what it's going to be. And the, oftentimes the heart is not emotional, Oh, I love you, and I love my dog. That's a matter. We use the same word in the same sentence, isn't that something? You love me like you love your dog? Some people love your dog more than you love somebody else. <laughs> I like my dog better than I like some people. So I agree. I understand that. Ain't that right? I'd rather be around my dog a lot more than some people that I have to be around sometimes. But I get to choose. Any human being is who you are, what you think, what we cherish. If we're not careful, it becomes Everything for us. And God said, no. Because all that's going to pass. You know, all of it's going to pass. That's exactly what it means. If what you value out there has everything to do with this life, you're very seldom thinking about that life. Eternal. Heaven. That's the point he's making. Every year, all your imagination is, how am I going to make money today? How am I going to get this boyfriend or this girlfriend? Or how am I going to get this house? Everything about you is consumed with that. If that's your God. If that's your treasure. So you very seldom think about eternal stuff. I mean, come on. That's the way it goes, right? When's the last time you got up on Monday morning and said, God, eternally, what are we going to do today? How can I be involved in that? I wonder a fraction of that might take place in our congregation. At some level, we believe, oh, yeah, there's a new heaven and a new earth coming. We believe that. Creed. We believe in the creed. The new heaven and the new earth are something you 
yearn for. Oh, well, well, we believe it's coming, but wait a minute. You know, I got 10 things I got to do. I, I got a 10-year plan. I got to do all these things. So I'm really not thinking about heaven today. God, I, we, I, know in the, I know you said you're coming and all that's coming down the pipe, but for the next 10 years, I got to do this and get this done and get this. So really, your, your concern is not about heaven. Your concern is about your 10-year plan or your 5-year plan or your 1-year plan. Nothing wrong with having plans as long as the plan is not your God, Right? Uh, God wants you to be uh, instrumental. He wants you to work. He wants you to think. He wants you to be productive. But that is not your God. That's not what he's saying it's supposed to be. If all our treasure belongs to this life and none of it to a new heaven and a new earth, how is that going to affect your life? If you're never thinking about eternity and the treasure in heaven and that aspect of it, if all you think about is what is down here, how is it shaping your life? See how that works? That's what Jesus is talking about. Do not store for yourself treasure on earth. You choose. You get to choose. Do I want to have heaven as one of my treasures or my main treasure? <clears throat> Why? Because my heart's going to follow that. Always. It does. <laughs> he says, choose your treasure and make sure it's an eternal treasure because that's the only thing that's not going to rot away. Everything is going to be gone except his word. You know. He said, my word shall live forever. Everything else will pass as, if, as we know it. Life as we know it, everything. I don't know how all that's going to work. I mean, I don't, he doesn't explain that to us. We know it's going to come, though. I suspect that we don't very often feel real homesick about heaven. You know? When's the last time you got up in the morning and said, God, could this be the day you're coming back? Man, I'm ready to go. I, I just, I don't think we do. We're the, usually we're not there. We're thinking about all these other worldly things. When, when's the last time you got up on Monday morning and said, Lord, could it be today? Man, I'm ready to get out of this hell. Can we just go now? Oh, no. I, I got this to do and this to do. So, so heaven's not your treasure. Come on, let's be honest. The world's your treasure. And even the things that are not in and of themselves evil, you treasure them more than you treasure eternal things because you're not really thinking about the eternal things. You're thinking about the things on the earth. Isn't that right? I mean, that's right. Whatever's in the well comes up in the bucket. Whatever in our hearts, we're, we're going to chase after. That's what he says. That's exactly right. It's primarily because that's not where our treasure is. Our treasure is not eternal things. <laughs> you know, heaven is called heaven because that's where God is. And it's kind of funny. When you start thinking about church and what it's supposed I know there's a lot of institutional churches that are so far away from what God expects. I, you know, we try to work and try to stay on the right path. We, just like anybody else, can fall prey to nonsense. We just try to watch it. We try to keep it simple. But there's so much stuff that's done in the institutional church that really does nothing to help us vision that part of it. It's all about now. And, I mean, we just have to be careful with that. God dwells in heaven, and he's going to be the center and if we are his bride, the church, and he died for us, and we're married to him by faith, why would we not want to associate with the body that he created? Oh, I hate church, but I, I, I love heaven. No, you won't. If you can't tolerate even the best church on the earth, you will not work it in heaven. You won't make it. If you look at the guidelines, <laughs> no. We're all of us in the same boat. 
we realize what depraved, I hope you realize that, what depraved, no good people we are outside of Jesus. And we're here just trying to stay on the right track and hoping God's word will get through to us when we come and the Holy Spirit will convict us. And somebody that is around here will encourage us so we can stay on the right track at serving him. Not to earn a place in heaven, but because of what he's done for us. That's what we're about. All of us are in the same boat. Ain't nobody in here any better than anybody else. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how bad you've been. Jesus died on the cross for us. All of us. And that should be our focus. And it's so easy that the church, in general, loses sight and gets caught up into all kind of nonsense that has nothing to do with eternity. I mean, that's just a fact. You've been in some of them. I've been in some of them. And when you stand up and say, oh, wait a minute, boy, they throw tomatoes at you. Because they say, oh, no, no, we got our little click here, and we don't want to change anything. And say, okay. And that's what Jesus said. I don't know who you are. What does that mean? It means, actually, the translation means this. Stop treasuring treasure. You know, how many millions of dollars have they made off of money where somebody's after a treasure? Huh? What is, how many of those, what's, what was it? Uh, Indiana Jones. What was it about? Treasure. Every one of them was, right? Isn't that right? They made a lot of money. Why? Oh, this treasure, this treasure, this treasure. A lot of that stuff is about, oh, you know, is there really a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow? I've seen a rainbow in a big field before on both ends and went there. I didn't see any gold. I don't know. But we have that concept, right? He says, stop treasuring treasure because it's all going to be gone. All of it. Everything's going to be gone. Why waste your time on that? It's not going to last. When you see wealth as an end of itself and rather than a means that God can use God, money has become your God. You know, that's just the way it goes. I know some people, they say, oh, no, we love Jesus. No, they're just greedy. They're just greedy. They accumulate for themselves. They don't want to help anybody. And they want to take away from you. They're just greedy. But they say they're saved. I, Lord, I don't know. I can't judge their heart. But the Scripture says that doesn't go together. And that's all I'm saying. That's what it says. We need to fire up our imagination so we see what it is that the Lord Jesus is commanding us to treasure, to think about, to value. And that is eternal things. Heaven. Heaven. <laughs> Revelation 21 does that. You know what it says is going to be where there's a new heaven and up? And, and please understand, Revelation is tough. All right? When are you going to preach on Revelation? I don't know. One day when I get wise. There's so much in there. You say, oh, well, he's got it figured out. No, he doesn't. There's so much symbolic stuff in Revelation. It's just piled on top of one another. Uh, it's tough, all right? So I've never preached the Revelation. I may one day. It just takes hours and hours and hours and hours on top of the regular stuff to try to even have a fraction, maybe, of getting there. But Revelation 21 says, you know what, the whole, you know what all this is going to be about? God. Nothing else. It says, what? There is no temple there. There's no religious nonsense. God. That's it. That's what eternity is about. God. I don't know what else it's going to do, what it's going to do. Uh, you know, I don't know. He doesn't tell us. I did not see a temple, Sydney, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are there. And that's all. That's all we have, that's all we have to think about. I mean, all this other stuff. It transforms us, hearts, causing a change in our affection to the things that we treasure. 
You know, if this was your God and you made a commitment to Jesus, then that thing that's not God should be changing. It's what it's, the new birth does for us. It describes us as moving from darkness into light. That's the illustration that he uses in just a minute about our eye. It enables us to no longer treasure the trappings of the world. You know, Meredith been wanting to play volleyball all of her life since it started. And she was de- decently talented at it. And uh, so this last year, and some of you know some of this, some of you don't. She, you know, was so sick she didn't get to play for a couple of years. And then she went back to Atlanta to try out for this elite team. And she made the team, even though she hadn't been playing like some of these other girls. But they did her wrong. And uh, she had enough sense to say, no, nah, I'm not playing your game. She made a decision herself. But I told her, I said, listen, that club does not control your future. She's a walk-on at Mercer on the volleyball team, unheard of. For her situation to be where she was, all the things that happened, and for her to be on the team. Who was in control of that? God. And she sees it. The world does not control your future. You have to see that. And if you don't see that, you will treasure things that will not last. That's exactly what he's saying. A a commitment to Jesus is supposed to change our purpose, our focus. We should be thinking about something outside of this world. You know, (laughs) we have to hurry, all right? How many preachers? Me included. How many sermons? How many churches as a habit? Make us feel homesick for heaven. You ever heard a sermon on that? You know, we don't. We're focused now. When's the last time? When's the last time anything has been done to help motivate us to think about? You know, this is not all there is to this life. This world isn't. You know, I. Sometimes people say it's morbid, but there's a lot of days I say, God, I'm ready. I'm done with this mess. Well, don't you want to see this in light of eternity? It doesn't matter. you got to get to that point because you can't control those things. Somebody's going to die, and you have to keep going. You're going to lose everything, and you have to keep going. In light of eternity, you have to keep that focus. What has been done? What has been doing? What is being done? To help us focus on, hey, this life is not all there is. It does not control us. Right? Now, we got to hurry to the end. I'm sorry. But there's a lot more in the middle of it. If you want to go back and read it or, or well, you can't listen to it because I'm not going to talk about it. How about that? What does he do? He comes down to the end and he says, uh, oh, let me read these real quick. Some of the reasons, not exhaustive, why we never really hunger for heaven. Don't answer this out loud. When's the last time you thought about it? God, I'm ready to go. Let's get up in the morning and go to heaven. Hmm? Is that your plan on Monday morning? You're going to get up first thing and say, God, come Lord Jesus. That's what it says in the end of the book, right? Come Lord Jesus, come soon. (laughs) Why? Even when we take the Bible seriously, we just reduce it. Well, we know that's going to happen. We know he's coming back. We know that, you know, I got 10 things to do tomorrow. I got to be here by this year, near by next year. I got all these things to do, so we really don't think about it. Number two, in some cases, it's just biblical ignorance. We don't realize it's supposed to be important to us. 
We never heard it. We've never been around it. Nobody's ever taught us. In some cases, we just let the world seduce us into buying into their system. So we never think about it. All these are absolutely for. It's because we subjected ourselves to visions of a new heaven and a new earth that are small. <laughs> Can you imagine? If it was true, all we're going to do in heaven is float around on clouds and play harps. Who would want to go? I can't play a harp. And that's what you see when people portray heaven. That's not what it's going to be about. Nothing like that. But that's it. Well, this is really no big deal. We're going to get there, and that's, well, we're not even going to think about it. You know, everybody that's in heaven is not going to have a white face, right? And they're probably not going to speak English. All of them. I don't know how God's going to do all that. It just said from every tribe and every nation that people are going to be there. We may spend 100, some of us, a long years learning Mandarin. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't tell us. But we have such a small concept that we never think about. Well, it's just going to be this and that's it. Biblical ignorance. Some of it is in the dark. God's not told us yet what, exactly what it's going to be. We sometimes think that the new heaven and the earth will mean that, oh, well, certainly we know everything and there's nothing else we're going to be able to learn. Really? Really? <laughs> Again, that's biblical ignorance, I think, is where you put that one. That's exactly what happens. I want to read this and then we'll close because we don't have time. C.S. Lewis, you know, was an agnostic uh, atheist, became a believer late in life. He served in the trenches in World War I where 20 million people were killed, uh, 10 on each side, uh, uselessly. Uh, so he saw that firsthand, and he's, he's at Cambridge lecturing as a teacher, and uh, World War II breaks out. So they go to him and say, we want you to speak on it, because some of the students are worried about, should they be spending their time learning while the war is going on? Okay? You got that? That's the, that's the setting. And this is what he says. This is a fraction of it. Actually, you can read the whole thing. You can go through the internet and find it. It's called Learning at Wartime. He said, war creates no absolutely new situation. It's not new. It simply aggravates a permanent human situation so that we can no longer ignore it. What's he saying? We're all going to die. That's just one of the basic things. There's always going to be somebody. Uh, there's always going to be some kind of tsunami. There's always going to be a COVID. There's always going to be something. He said, it's just, now you can't ignore it. It's in your face. Human life has always been lived on the edge of a precipice. Human culture has always had to exist under the shadow of something infinitely more important than itself. You're not the center of the universe. Teenager. Young adult. Senior adult. You're not the center. That's what he's saying. Always. If men have postponed the search of knowledge and beauty until everything was secure, they would have never have begun. He said, it's always been here. This is nothing new. It's always been that way. We are mistaken when we compare what war with normal life. Life has never been normal. And you ever have a normal life? Unfortunately, you know, people get hurt and several things happen. And you say, how are you doing? I say, well, it's the new normal. <laughs> Why? Because now everything's changed. It's not normal anymore. What used to be normal not normal anymore. The new normal. He said the desire for security must find its satisfaction in something other than the world situation. As it is present. 
Why? Because it's always going to be something different. Always. Always. One's character begins to shrivel up and shrink as to correspond to the finite and temporal things to which it has been attached to. His audience may complain of death and the pains that surround it, or they may cry out to God that this world is unfair. But then Lewis reminds them, God never intended for us to be satisfied with this world. That is the problem. Our treasure is the world. It's not heaven. I mean, you boil it all down. When you look at our agendas and where we spend our money and where we spend our time and where we spend everything, our focus is the world. Very seldom is it eternity. Or we would do something different. Yay or nay. <laughs> it's a fact. As Wendy Bagwell says, I'm telling you, a fact with my hand up. What? Whatever's in the well comes up in the bucket. That's what John said. There's a great deal in the Bible that just doesn't make sense if there's not an end coming where all this stuff is taken care of. All the suffering that goes on. All the things that go on. If there's not an end when all this is fleshed out and leveled out, then we're missing it. The only way you can deal with some of this stuff now is to know, oh yeah, God's got it all. And what he, say? he says your eye. He says your eye lets light in. If your vision's distorted, you're not going to do anything like you're supposed to. So he says, you know, if, if your eye is dark, you can't see. And, and basically, here's an illustration for that. A lot of people who say they're uh, Christians and they're living for Jesus and they're just greedy, they don't see that they're greedy. An addict very seldom firsthand sees that they're an addict. They're blind. Oh, I, I don't have a problem. I can quit drinking anytime I want to. I can quit drugs anytime I want to. Well, the problem is, no, in, in, you know, there's an illustration in the Judges. And you remember what it says? It says, and everyone in Israel did what was right in their own eyes. So what does that mean? You think it's all right. I try to confront you. Somebody tries to confront you. So, well, wait a minute here. Oh, no, I'm all right. I haven't done anything wrong. That's what he's talking about, the eye. What did James say? It's a double-minded man. There's no focus, so he's seeing both things. He thinks this is all right, and it's not all right. You think you can serve God and money, and you can't. And then he goes to the end, and he says, oh, no, you can't serve God and mammon. He uses the word slave and master. It's not slave and master as we know it. A lot of people then, if you went into debt and you didn't have the money to pay, there was no bankruptcy situation. So what would happen was the person you owed could take you as a slave until the debt was done, and then you would be free. And a lot of those times, those people were well-educated people. It, you know, it, it wasn't like they were bums or anything like that. And he says, listen, if I own you and you're my slave, you can't be somebody else's slave. You can't be God's slave and the world's slave. You're one or the other. You say, well, I don't want to be a slave. Well, we're born in slavery. It's called sin. By nature, we are a slave to sin. Romans tells us that. And the only way we get out is Jesus adopts us as his children, and he pulls us out, and now he's our master, not sin. But Jesus said, you need to choose because you get to. I just think the Lord, he's merciful. Because we talk out of both sides of our mouth a lot of times. 
Oh, yeah, I love Jesus, but this ain't wrong in my life. What? Oh, you got to be kidding me. Oh, you must be going by somebody else's. Uh, you must be going by, what's his name? Situation ethics guy, what was his name? You psychology people, what was his name? I can't remember his name. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Thank the Lord he forgives us. We need to think about it. You living for the world or are you doing something for eternity? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you forgive us. Thank you that your mercy extends to us if we'll call on your name. Father, thank you for the truth of your word that shows us who we are. Father, thank you that you have a plan to restore people to yourself and that they would live for you with you in eternity. Lord, help us all submit to that authority where you can use us to be instrumental into having a treasure in heaven. Help us re assess our lives, refocus our lives so that you'll be glorified and people's lives will be changed for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.